going to read once again, as we read last week, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. This morning, uh, my focus is going to be on verses 23 through 27. 23 through 27. Please listen to the holy, infallible word of God. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceeding astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, you have left, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are overcome once again concerning these words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is sometimes very easy to understand, but it's very difficult for our hearts and our minds to truly, truly comprehend its essence. We ask, O God, that today we would see that we are completely dependent upon your grace for our salvation. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever done neighborhood 
evangelism or outreach. If you have, you have found it easier to, have you found it easier to present the gospel in poor neighborhoods as opposed to wealthy neighborhoods? If your experience matches my experience, there is something here that seems to blend with, word, with the words of Jesus to his disciples. Christ makes the comment here that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25. By Jesus making this comment, it seems that he is continuing his theme of humility, dependency, the last being first. Jesus may even be tapping into the psychological outlook of the poor and the rich. The poor look at themselves as possessing a lower position in society, almost never having the privilege to be seated at a table where the wealthy are served, having a position in the society of need. Often, not always, you can find in the personality of the poor the honest appreciation of people caring and trying to help them, and thus they are willing to listen to the gospel as a message that addresses and fills a need in their lowly struggles of loneliness. On the other hand, the wealthy can be puffed up with their worldly gain. They can be arrogant about their own personal achievements. They can be conceited with pride since they view themselves as self-made who have risen to prominent, a prominent position in society. They often convince themselves that they are dependent on no one else or even a supernatural being. They are dependent only upon the characteristics of their superior person. Why would they need the gospel? Why would they need Jesus? Well, <laughs> we have just witnessed here in this narrative in the greatest evangelist who has ever walked the earth, a clear example of the proclamation of the word of God being sown among the thorns. Oh yes, the future apostles saw a real live example of the parable of the sower before their own eyes. This man of abundant wealth allows the word of God proclaimed by Jesus to be choked out of him by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. He cannot give up all that he has in material wealth. Give it to the poor so that he can possess the treasures 
the treasures of heaven by coming to and following Jesus. He cannot surrender earthly wealth for heavenly wealth in Christ. He cannot live the life of self-denial for the sake of the treasures found in Christ and in Christ's kingdom alone. So he walks away sad, discouraged, with an attitude of clouded anger to the gospel call of the greatest evangelist. Even Christ himself did not bring this man to eternal life that is found only in him. At this point, we come to the second incident in this section in which Christ looks. Verse 23. The first incident was Christ penetrating intense direct look into the rich man's eyes with love for a lost sinner to come to the gospel as portrayed there in verse 21. But now that he is walking, that now that he has walked away, we are told that Jesus looked around. Verse 23. The Greek word here for Jesus looking is different than the word that appears in verse 21 as he looked directly into the eyes of the wealthy man. The ESV translation is good. Jesus is looking around at the results of his conversation with the man. He is observing the present surroundings at this moment. The wealthy man has left. He's left. He's walked away. And Jesus is present looking around at his disciples. Yes, his disciples. His future apostles as evangelists have just witnessed what happened. What is Jesus going to say now? Do you think that they expected what was about to come out of Christ's mouth? What would you expect to come out of Christ's mouth at this point? Maybe you would think this popular phrase with respect to the rich man. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Let's just go on to the next person. Well, not so fast. Jesus is about to teach a profound truth about the gospel. Once again, he catches the disciples off guard. <laughs> How difficult. The word here is hard, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, as the disciples listen to Jesus 
They are amazed, the text says. The word here means that they are astonished. They're shocked at what Jesus has just said. His comment there, verse 24. Why such amazement? Why such shock? Well, in the history of Israel, it was unthinkable that wealth would be an obstacle for entrance into the kingdom of God. Just think of these examples. Solomon, Job. Think of Elder Scott Hunter's informative study about how the word of God describes Boaz in Ruth chapter 2. Along with this lofty position of those who were wealthy came the tradition in Israel that the poor are to be protected by God's command. Furthermore, it was known in Israel that those with much wealth would help protect the poor. Some will serve the poor. So the rich were important for the stability and support of the poor in Israel. So it should not surprise us that the disciples here in this text, in this situation, in terms of Jesus' own words, they are amazed with Jesus' comments about the poor. Well, knowing that the disciples were struggling with his words, Jesus proceeds calling them his children. Remember that phrase <laughs> in this previous chapter and also uh, in the chapter number nine? You know, the idea here is he's identifying them as part of the little ones of his kingdom and church. And he says there in 24, as we have noted, how difficult, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. In this phrase, I want you to please note something. Please note that Jesus removes the phrase about those who have wealth which he stated in verse 23. And he makes a more universal statement, which is a preview of what he is going to teach the disciples and each one of us as we participate in this text this morning. Listen carefully to repeat how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Are you seeing it? Are you understanding it? Notice no phrase, who have wealth, in verse 24. However, for Jesus to, arrest, to, to address, excuse me, the disciples' own present state of amazement about his initial statement concerning those who have wealth, Jesus returns to place before them and ourselves a powerful visual, visual illustration about the wealthy. Picture this. <laughs> Picture this. At this time, the largest visible animal 
in the air in this particular area of the world was a camel. Now, try seeing and picturing the camel going through the tiny eye which a needle possesses. Now grasp the words of your Savior here. Don't overlook the opening phrase. It is easier. It is easier. Let those words sink in. The Greek drives home the visible, the visible aspect here. It is easier means posing no difficulty. No difficulty. It is without any trouble. You've got it, right? <laughs> the camel, without any difficulty, without any trouble, will just go through the eye of a needle. You will not need WD-40 to get him through. <laughs> you will not need a slippery substance like Vaseline. Nope. <laughs> the camel easily going through the eye of the needle is the visual image Jesus wants you to have in your mind. Now, returning to the rich person, Jesus puts the visual together for his disciples and the reader of Mark to see. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25. Jesus is attacking the thought that the accumulation of wealth is virtuous and deserves entrance into the kingdom of God. As we spoke earlier, Jesus truly knows the mind and heart of humans who have a sense of security and trust in their personal wealth and personal power that it enables them the privileges of earthly prestige and personal power itself. And if, they were, and if they are Jewish in Jesus' day, it deserves merits. Wealth is meritorious in terms of entrance into heaven. Well, Jesus has exposed those who blend together worldly wealth and the belief of entitlement. For eternal life. Do you really know what it means to inherit eternal life? Do you know that the inheritance of eternal life has absolutely nothing to do with the wealth you have accumulated? Do you understand that there is nothing meritorious about your accumulation of wealth? Well, let's see if you do. Let the truth of the full reliance and dependence upon God alone to register upon your soul. 
Jesus says to the wealthy man, give up everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow Christ who possesses what every human being needs. Not wealth in this world, but the treasures, the treasures of eternal life in the kingdom of God. The gospel that places the mind and heart of faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in full reliance and dependence upon God, who is our inheritance, our God, who is rich in mercy and grace for sinners. Well, as we have seen before in Christ's interaction with his disciples throughout Mark's gospel, they are completely astonished meaning nearly losing now, the Greek word here is they're almost losing their mental capacity. <laughs> they're in panic state is the Greek word here. They're in panic with Christ's response about the camel, the rich man, and the eye of the needle. They are so extremely amazed at his illustration that they reply with the obvious question that is on their mind there in verse 26. <laughs> then who can be saved? Who can be saved? <laughs> Note the illustration that Jesus gives was on purpose to point to the impossibility for the rich man to inherit eternal life by his accomplishments. As the disciples stand there, absolutely astonished at what Jesus is saying, we come to the third time the third time in this sec section that Jesus looks, that he looks. Verse 27. Mark now returns to use the same Greek word here that he used in verse 21 when Jesus looked at the rich man. Do you remember that, the meaning of that concept there? It's a, he's looking at the disciples. It's a penetrating, intense concentration. It's a direct look into their eyes, followed with a statement that they are going to have to understand as they go into the world as Christ's apostles and evangelists. Christ provides a clear, a precise and a succinct statement of how salvation occurs. Congregation, are you listening? How are you ultimately saved? How are you ultimately saved?
If you claim faith in Jesus Christ this morning, how did you come to faith? How did you come to believe in Christ? In the final analysis, it is by God. It is by God. It is impossible for humans by any work, including the work of faith, to save ourselves. Is this not the implication of Christ's comment? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for any human accomplishment to, com to contribute or gain a person's entrance into the kingdom of God, entrance into heaven. The Arminian believes that salvation is based upon their initial choice. That cannot be affirmed in Christ's absolute wording of this text. Not at all. The only possible way for any person, any human, rich, now listen, or poor, for any of us to be saved is if God saves us. Remember verse 24? Christ omits the phrase, who have wealth. He says have difficult, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. That is a universal statement at that point. Deals with everybody. Rich and poor. Why? Why is it that only God can save us? Because all human beings are in union with Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. And hence all humans are dead in sin, inclined to all evil. We are guilty of our sin. We are completely ruined in all our parts and faculties of soul and body. Utterly indisposed, disabled to do all good. So I am summarizing Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 6, 2 through 4, which I would suggest is a tremendous summary of Romans chapter 3, 9 through 19. Only God can save us. Jesus is underlining this point. He can't be any clearer. The covenant of grace, the covenant of promise has now arrived. And Christ's comment here to the disciples echoes the comment of the Lord to Abraham as the Lord applied the covenant of promise to the seed of Abraham and Sarah 
on an impossible note, if you remember. Yes, the birth of Isaac. Abraham and Sarah wondered how it could be possible that they could have a child. Abraham, <laughs> Abraham says, I'm 99 years old. My wife is 90 years old. How are, they, <laughs> how are we going to have a child here? <laughs> Indeed, Isaac, the child of the promise, came to them when they were beyond the age of having children. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. The Lord of the covenant of promise said to Abraham in that discussion with him, is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18 14. No, the saving power of God's covenantal oath. Isaac is born to a 90-year-old wife and a 99-year-old husband. Now the covenant of promise, grace, to repeat, has arrived in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In Christ, the impossible way of salvation for sinful humanity has now become Possible. And who has brought Jesus into the world to make salvation possible? Only God. Only God, the Holy Spirit, who came upon the Virgin Mary and she gave birth to the God-man, the Son of God, so that those who repent of their sinful life and believe upon the name of Christ can pass from the impossible to the possible. As we together this morning examine our own sinful hearts, as we examine our own heart of faith in Christ, you understand, don't you? You understand this text. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. As you're looking, as we all look into our own hearts, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible for God in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to save any of us. To save any of us. Even you have been given the gift of faith in Christ. But don't forget the words of Christ, the evangelist, before these apostles and Christ's church here in the text, even to that rich young man. Although Christ declares that God alone saves, Christ issues a universal invitation like he did to the rich man, to every human being on the face of the earth, both rich and poor. In fact, it is an invitation of immediate concern 
an immediate command because of what is at stake for every human being. And what is at stake? The eternal inheritance of the treasures found only in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, come, come, follow me. Is that your life? Is that your life through the power of Christ's spirit? Is Christ your eternal inheritance? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we... We thank thee that those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who see their dependency completely upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, that we ourselves have an inheritance, a treasure in heaven which surpasses all earthly existence. Let our hearts rejoice this morning. Let us rejoice with the angels in heaven, with what Christ has done for us, and how he alone has saved us. It is in him. It is in him who was rich and became poor for our sakes that we have the riches of the treasures of the inheritance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you. We praise your name for such a glorious salvation. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.